just so many business podcasts out there. How can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we are about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things. The ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts. All right. Good afternoon and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I am your host, Todd Schnick. This is going to be a fun conversation. My audience, as you know, we have a lot of conversations around sales on this show. And today's conversation, I think, is going to poke at the edges a bit which I think is very, very relevant and very important when we talk about sales in the modern business world. So it's going to be a fun conversation. We're going to talk about some things that I think are going to be things that are going to, that are going to push some buttons, which I think is very, very important and I think very useful when talking about sales today. So let's get to it. I'm joined now by Justin Rothmarsh. He is the founder of Ballistics and the author of a new book, which we're principally going to be talking about called The Machine, A Radical Approach to the Design of the Sales Function. Justin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Todd. Happy to be here. Now, happy to have you. Thanks for carving out some time to join us. I know you're awfully busy launching and promoting this new book, Justin, so I'm grateful for the time. Before we get into our conversation, take a few quick seconds and inform the audience a bit about you and your background, and then give us that high-level view of ballistics. What do you do? How do you serve your market? So we build sales environments for organizations. And I say environment because really we build the full stack. So if we work with an organization, we would do everything from recruiting the people, putting the processes in place, providing our clients with all of the promotional collateral and a complete stack of technology as well. In some cases, we'll work with startups or spin-outs from existing organizations, and we really will build the whole stack from scratch. More commonly, though, we'll work for ex with existing organizations and we'll be re-engineering their existing sales functions to make them a little more or a lot more effective. All right. Good stuff. So, Justin, just so you know, I'm not ganging up on you. I ask this question of virtually every author I interview on this show, but good Lord, did the world need another book on sales? So why was your book The Machine? Why did you have to write this? Why did you add this to the lexicon of sales books out there? Well, I guess it belongs in the sales. It's probably going to end up in the sales category in bookshops, uh -huh. but it's not a book on sales. It's uh -huh. a book on how to design and build the sales function, which is materially different from a book on sales. So the standard assumption is, is that sales is the job of an, an autonomous agent, the classic rainmaker. What we do and what the book is all about is how to convert sales into a machine, almost like an industrialized um, reinterpretation of sales. And it's about how to build that machine and how to manage that machine so it's kind of like process engineering for sales. You know, if you pick up the book expecting to find out how to be able to close better or how to be able to make appointments on the telephone, there's really nothing in there for salespeople. The book is targeted at senior management who are dissatisfied with the performance of their existing sales function and are brave enough to want to start with a clean sheet of paper and re-engineer it from scratch. And there are too many books. If we had a section in Barnes & Noble 
for books that are all about how to re-engineer the sales function from scratch, starting with a brand new set of starting assumptions, then there's not going to be too many books sitting beside mine. Well, there might be just yours then. <laughs> and, and that's part of what I want to, what I was gently getting at. Well, I mean, look, and let me preface this by saying I've published a book on sales. So, I mean, I get it. I, and I'm, and I'm mocking myself when I talk about the plethora of books out there about sales. And I agree with you. This idea of reengineering this process, you probably will, would be the only book in that section, which I think is why this is such an important conversation, because I think that reengineering of this entire function of this entire process is so necessary, so important. But let me poke at you a little bit. And I suspect you were prepared for this question. But let me ask it anyway, because I'm curious as to how you'll engage with it. I have long been advocating and long been writing about, and frankly, the gist of my book on sales is the idea that you need to be more human in your sales process. You need to look at the fact that the person you're trying to sell to isn't some record, isn't some avatar in a database. It's a real human being. And you've got to treat that person as a real human being because that's not, frankly, how we've been trained to treat someone that we're selling to. But then when I hear you say, we're trying to turn this thing into a machine, my ears perk up and say, well, wait a minute, aren't we trying to connect with humans now? Then the word machine uh, freaks me out. So what exactly do you mean by that? Well, when I'm not being interviewed on podcasts, uh, <laughs> what I like to do is play tennis. Ah. And when you play tennis, I'm sure you've played tennis, there's a fairly strict set of rules. And, you know, some of those rules dictate that if the ball lands outside of the lines, you lose the point. And if the ball lands in the net, you lose the point. And the interesting thing is that the game of tennis is so much more exciting because of those rules. Now, if you took away all the rules, if you erased the lines and took down the net, I don't think anyone would persist with the game for long because it wouldn't be much Fun. Now, the, the, my observation is that the traditional approach to the design of sales actually robs salespeople of their humanity. It turns them into machines. What I'm suggesting is that you should build your sales function as a machine. And as the consequence of that is you will humanize the individuals who are lucky enough to work inside it. If you believe that the standard model brings out the best in the more admirable human qualities in your salespeople, you should follow them around for a week sit with them on Friday evenings in hotel rooms when they're writing proposals, uh, sit with them when they're taking call after call after call on their cell phones, trying to resolve customer service issues and performing countless other activities that have absolutely nothing to do with sales, or at least, you know, what you and I would probably agree is an intelligent definition of the word sales. In the environments that we build, salespeople actually get to perform those activities and only those activities that they were probably hoping to perform when they signed on for sales. So if you're an enterprise salesperson working for one of our clients, you get to spend 100% of your time face-to-face -face with customers or potential customers negotiating deals. If I were a human being, and I've never heard anyone suggest that I am, but if I were, I think that <laughs> is the type of environment that I would want to work in. Well, see, you really went down a dangerous path when you suggested that we should think of this in the context of tennis, because uh, I played a lot of sports as a youth, and the tennis was the one thing I was actually good at. And I come from the McEnroe, Connors, Boris Becker school of tennis. I believe tennis should be a full contact sport. So we probably <laughs> shouldn't go down that path because I, I, I would argue that tennis would be exciting without nets and without boundaries. So we won't go there. So Only for you, not for the spectators. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I think that would be important too for the spectators. I think they're getting bored with the game as it is. So I think, well, like I said, we should not go down that path. So Justin, so look, 
you're advocating for this entire new design of the sales function. So why is it imperative for an organization to think about it this way? Because I think you say if they don't, this thing's going to flame out and they're going to go down. Well, it might not be imperative for every organization at this particular point in time. I mean, I think that if sales is doing, if you were talking to me as a business owner and you said sales is going fine, I would say, well, great, let's talk about something else. But I think what happens when people pick up the book and it really resonates with them, it's because in most cases, they've reached a point where they're suffering diminishing returns in sales. And what that looks like is they've got to the point where adding more salespeople to the sales team doesn't produce an increase in revenue significant enough to justify those additional team members. And so most of our clients have reached the point where they've run out of enthusiasm for adding more salespeople. And a lot of people who I talk to have actually churned through a, a few sales managers or directors of sales or VPs of sales as well. And they've started to get frustrated because they feel like they've hit the natural limit of the standard sales model and they're casting about for something new. I mean, in the beginning of the book, there's an argument why you need to re-engineer sales, but I suspect that the book is rarely read by people who need to be convinced. I think people who pick up the book have been beating their head against the wall and are frustrated and desperately looking for a new approach because they've really tapped out the potential of the standard model. Well, I suspect that's far more common than people are willing to admit, and that's the whole point of why you did this book, I'm sure. What is that new model? I mean, so if someone comes to you and says, look, I'm one of those guys beating my head against the wall and I am frustrated and I want to think about a new way. What is that new way? What's the basic model that you're suggesting? So let me define the old way and then it'll make the new way easy to understand. So the old way is very, very simple. We want sales, we employ a salesperson. We want more sales, we employ two salespeople. And the salesperson essentially owns the sales function. They are the sales function. So they are an autonomous rainmaker. They own the sales function. What that means in most organizations is they don't just own sales. They own the entire interface between your organizations and your customers. And there's benefits of that approach and there's disadvantages of that approach. But the big disadvantage is it doesn't scale. You know, there are a lot of organizations out running around out there looking for the precious few individuals who genuinely are rainmakers. And if you were or I were one of those individuals, somebody who could make it rain, we probably wouldn't want to work for 90% of the organizations that are offering us a job. I mean, there's a couple of organizations I'd be interested in working for, maybe Oracle and SAP. I'd want to work somewhere where I can earn a million bucks plus a year. And it wouldn't make sense to work for an office supplies company. So for most organizations, that's the problem. The solution is to design sales a little bit more like a production environment. And what that means is division of labor. So what it means is deconstructing sales into a set of activities, grouping those activities by type and allocating each type of activity to an individual who's qualified to perform them either by experience or pay grade and exploiting all of the benefits in in division of labor that, that have resulted in the massive increase in productivity we've seen in production over the last hundred years or so. Mm-hmm. Yep. As I suspect, this conversation is going to push us to do a lot of deep thinking as to our sales process. All right. Justin Roth Marsh will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the new international best-selling book, Leadership Rigor. This groundbreaking book will turn everything you think you know about leadership upside down. Leadership Rigor explores how to achieve breakthrough performance and productivity through leading yourself, leading teams, and leading at the organizational level. 
Author Erica Piedler outlines for her readers how to become change-ready leaders. Change-ready leaders are capable of embracing challenges with agility and optimism because they have the tools, models, and language to assess, structure, and facilitate solutions. Leadership is a skill that can be learned and practiced. Take the rigor challenge and ask yourself, do you want to lead mindfully and skillfully? Or do you want to subject your teams and organizations to your unstructured thoughts and approaches? The choice is yours. Will you rigor it? You can purchase Leadership Rigor on Amazon or by visiting ericpetler.com. All right, I am back with Justin Roth Marsh, the founder of Ballistics and the author of a new book, The Machine, A Radical Approach to the Design of the Sales Function. All right, so Justin, you were walking us through the model right before the break. Uh, what I want to be sure that the audience who's listening to this understands is what are the basic sales assumptions that most managers, that most sales managers assume that they're falling trapped to, that they're getting wrong? Well, there's a couple of that I think are fundamentally, that probably were correct in the past that are, that are incorrect today. The first is that sales is an outside activity. Mm. And it used to be the case that selling was something that you did out there in the field because that's where customers were. But it's a mistake today to design your sales function based upon an assumption that customers are out there because they're not, they're in here. They're on our websites. You know, a lot of us, they can actually see our inventory levels on our websites. They have greater visibility into our business than fuel-based salespeople do. So the idea that we're going to send salespeople out in the field to interact with customers is bogus because customers are already in our organization. And if they're in our organization, we need to interact with them in the organization. By sending salespeople out into the field to talk to customers, unless it's absolutely necessary, is adding friction. It's destroying value rather than creating value. Well, it's, you and I would be in cahoots in, in thinking that you have to radically rethink your design of your sales process. There's an awful lot of people listening to this who still very much believe in that field sales approach. And they still have agents and still have reps out in the field knocking on doors and they're frustrated. Well, why aren't they selling more? Well, I think you and I both understand why, but talk about that. Because as you say, odds are you need to really focus and, and rethink and rebuild that inside sales team. There's a plenty of people out there in the sales game who would argue that. Why? Well, most of your listeners already have an inside sales team. They just haven't recognized it yet. And they haven't, as a consequence, engineered it to be effective. So if you follow a typical rep around, they spend a tiny percentage of their time face-to-face -face with customers. And of the percentage of the time that they are actually face-to-face, -face, the greater majority of that is not selling. It's performing customer service or project management, as salespeople want to call it, type activities. I mean, a typical salesperson gets face-to-face -face with the customer and performs a true sales meeting just a couple of times a week. The rest of the time, they're on the telephone. So salespeople and sales managers will strenuously defend the idea that they are field salespeople, but they spend a tiny portion of their time actually in the field. I mean, if most organizations were to do a time and motion study, they could realize quite quickly that their salespeople are essentially inside salespeople, and then they could bring them in, they could give them headsets, and they could insist that they pick up the phone 60 times a day. And that would mean two things. It would mean that management would have to take away from salespeople the responsibility for performing customer service. And that means they have to fix the customer service team so that they can do it and give them full responsibility for that. And it would also mean that management would have to recognize that it's their responsibility to generate sales opportunities for salespeople so that your sales team can pick up the phone 60 times a day and have 30 
meaningful selling interactions. See, that's where I think that the big problem is. And, and that was the question I was going to ask was, what's the bigger problem here? What's the bigger challenge? Is it sales management stuck in the old model? Is it the sales rep who's out there in the field with an expectation of how they're supposed to perform and how they're supposed to interact with their market? And they're frustrated because it's not working well. And you and I know why. But so, I mean, what's the bigger problem? What's the harder problem to solve? Rethinking the mindset of management to say there's a different way to think about this or, or to retrain the rep at, that's currently out in the field to sell in a different way. I think the point you're making is, yeah, there actually are inside sales, but they're forced, they're, they're in an outside field model. And once they get into the right environment with the right expectations, everything's going to change for them. Am I, am I right in assessing that? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with salespeople. Nothing wrong with salespeople. Salespeople are remarkably adaptable. And most salespeople today are adapting surprisingly well to the environment that they are forced to operate in. I think two things have to occur. Number one, the executive team have to recognize that the starting assumptions that underpin the design of the standard sales models are no longer correct and they need to change you know, their mental picture of how sales should be engineered. And then the second problem that they're going to have is inertia around middle management. I mean, the great thing about salespeople is even though they will champion the orthodoxy, they're not really interested in living it because they're close enough to reality to be pragmatic. They will quickly adapt to doing whatever works that you know they'll optimize the real challenge when it comes to change management is middle managers because middle managers have been championing the orthodoxy for their entire careers without the corrective feedback of reality so you know there's an enormous disincentive for sales managers to abandon the orthodoxy and embrace a new approach well because in my view i think the new approach removes power from that sales manager. And I say that in a way that I'm not enthusiastic about that because I think there is a role for a sales manager to play, but I think their role has largely been to club people over the head by not meeting numbers and not meeting expectations. And I think that's a, a miserable existence for both the sales rep under that sales manager and frankly, for that sales manager to be existing in that environment. So yeah. interesting thing to think about. So my observation is that most organizations have too many sales managers and, yeah. and no supervisors. What, <laughs> what we critically need is someone to supervise sales. A, a lot of the organizations we work with, the sales managers are, are full of bluff and bluster. But when you actually, when I say to them, look, we need you to run a daily meeting with your sales team and we, we want you to be role-playing with them. You know, they will bristle at the notion of role-playing because they've probably never done it in their lives. So our client sales teams, not our clients, but sales teams that I encounter are over-managed and under-supervised. Yep. Well said. Well said. So final discussion topic. Now, when I first read this in the notes provided by your support team, uh, I did a happy dance around the studio because it's a subject that I have long felt akin to and, and agreeable with. So let me just read the question that was provided for purposes of our conversation, which will get us off on, onto this conversation. But the notes I was provided said, why CRMs suck? The dirty secret of sales is that, with few exceptions, this technology has done nothing to improve productivity. I couldn't agree more, Justin. And and now, look, I recognize that there is a role that CRMs play in this. And when executed properly, I think can be important to the process. But I think nine times out of ten, the CRMs cause more headache than, than, than it's worth. And maybe I'm on a different vantage point than you are on this subject. So I'm obviously curious as to how you're going to comment on this, but I think CRMs are are woefully 
problematic in the sales process today. So why don't you comment on on this whole idea and then we'll go from there. So let's imagine a fictitious business that started with just one person and and this one person has to be, you know, part rainmaker, part production person, engineer, and the business grows. So they end up with two people and then three people and then five people. My view is that, that an organization reaches a fork in the road where sales is concerned. And this is, of course, the fork that we're talking about here. You know, they either try and grow sales by recruiting more autonomous agents and hoping everything holds together. And invariably, it doesn't. So you need to recruit layers and layers of management, you know, regional managers and um, VPs of sales and so on to try and keep everything working. And, you know, you've got to rely on maybe the comp plan to, to keep everyone in alignment. And we all know how well that works. Mm-hmm. And that's the standard model. I call it the go get em tiger model. Now, <laughs> in that model, salespeople operating autonomously do not need CRM. They would be far better served by their old-fashioned daytimer. And CRM as it exists today was not designed for salespeople. It was designed for marketing people and for management to spy on salespeople. Oh, so, I've, been, I've been saying that for years or certainly so, believing that for years. Yeah. So my view is that if you want to maintain the standard model, and if someone's listening to me, they don't want to anyway, so it's kind of self-serving for me to suggest this. But my position is if you want to maintain the standard model, then give your salespeople their daytimers back. The only problem with a daytimer is if somebody steals it, they've lost a bunch of information. But information atrophies so quickly in sales environments that it really doesn't matter too much. Um, Salespeople need, they don't need to maintain information for any longer than the length of the opportunity cycle. Now, if you choose the fork that I'm advocating where sales becomes a machine and where most sales activities are centralized and where field salespeople just do face-to-face meetings and do four or five of them a day and hand off after every meeting to an internal person, whether it's a customer service person or their dedicated executive assistant to do all the office-based stuff. In an environment like that where you have division of labor and consequently have handoffs between people, you cannot function without CRM. And CRM is designed perfectly for your requirements. So let me tell you how we got to this place. In the beginning, when technology people first built CRMs, they were designed to be productivity tools for salespeople. So if you think back to the original version of ACT, for example, it was kind of like a daytimer on a computer. And the big problem with it was you had to boot the computer up. So it was questionable whether it offered much utility over the day planner diary. But then what happened was the enterprise technology people started to to sense a bit of a slowdown in ERP. In other words, the big systems that run enterprise accounting and inventory management and so on. And they recognized that there's this new category here called CRM. So they took their understanding of organization and built these massive CRMs. The only problem is that they were building CRM based upon an assumption that sales is like the rest of the organization. In other words, division of labor. But division of labor doesn't exist in sales for the most part, never has. And it's a coincidence, I think, a happy coincidence when we go to organizations and advocate division of labor, it just so happens that the ERP crowd has built a tool that's perfect for the job, but it is absolutely not per- it is absolutely not perfect for automating the existing sales environment. So it's just a happy coincidence that these smart technology people have gone ahead and built a tool that nobody up until now have had, has had any, had any requirement for because it just so happens that when we go and work with organizations, they desperately need this thing. So from a traditional salesperson's perspective, CRM does suck. You know, throw it away, go back to the day planner. Well, 
<laughs> you'll get no bigger advocate for that that idea and that philosophy than than I, Justin. And that's not to impugn those that do. I mean, look, I get the idea behind. It. I get the concept behind what it's meant to do. Justin, you and I both know that doesn't do that. And as you as you suggested, and correct me if I have if I have misinterpreted what you said. To me, it's it's I mentioned earlier the sales manager clubs people over the head with with things, and I think the CRM is just an aid to enable that process. And that's what frustrates me about it. So in a, in a typical sales environment, it does nothing. You might say, well, it's a tool for management, but it's not even a useful tool for management. And to prove it, just think to yourself: Have you ever gone into a major account sales environment? and looked at when opportunities appear in CRM. If you do, you'll discover that opportunities for 50, 100, $200,000, $500,000 deals appear in CRM and then are won three or four days or three or four weeks later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you see this in pretty much every organization in, in major account sales. Now, the interesting question is, well, how, does that indicate that these opportunities were won in two or three days or two or three weeks? Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't. It indicates that salespeople will... I think carpet bag is the term, will carpet bag these opportunities and only divulge their existence to management at the very last minute. <laughs> so if you say, well, CRM is, imp- is valuable for management because it helps us with business intelligence, it's bollocks. A CRM is, is distorts the nature of reality. It doesn't reflect the nature of reality. It's bollocks. I may pull that very phrase into the title of this publication. So, and again, I just, I don't want to sit there and shite on and anyone who believes strongly in the power of CRMs because I think there's honorable intention there. But I really do believe in my gut that this is meant to be a, a means for, for management to club sales reps over the head and not meeting numbers and not meeting expectations. And, and that's where it's frustrating to me. Now, we work with CRM all the time. We have, a, we have our own CRM here. We have a team of developers working on it. So I'm a huge fan of CRM, but I'm a fan of CRM in the types of environments I'm discussing here where we have teams of people generating and prosecuting opportunities together. In a standard sales environment, when you have a rep out there in the field with a you know a briefcase and a company car, you know the CRM is not helping that person at all. Right, 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 right. Well, it's criminal that we have to wrap this thing. Uh, there's an awful lot more we could do in terms of diving into some of these ideas, some of these concepts. But sadly, we're out of time for today. Before I let you go, how can people contact you should they have questions? Where can they learn more about both ballistics and the new book, The Machine? Well, the first thing they should do if they like this light no reasoning is read the machine, of course, because they're going to have a much more constructive conversation with me if they've read the machine. They can find me on Twitter at Justin Rothmarsh, or they can go to my blog, salesprocessengineering.net, and click on the contact tab to send me an email. I will respond to every request or ping that I get from anyone. All right. Justin Rothmarsh, the founder of Ballistics and the author of the new book, The Machine, a radical approach to the design of the sales function. Justin, we've just begun to scratch the surface here. Hopefully we'll get a chance to get you back on the show and continue our conversation. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. All right. Well, that wraps this conversation today. On behalf of our guest, Justin Rothmarsh, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Business. 